You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture today comes from Acts chapter 2. Here we have the story of Pentecost, Acts 2 at 14. There's a sign, uh, the, the wind and the flames of fire, and the uh, speaking in tongues, and then we hear about how the people have come from all over the Roman Empire, and then people are laughing at them, thinking that they've had, they've been drinking. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miraculous, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as, as you yourselves know. Uh, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David says about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Our text that I've chosen for this morning's preaching comes from our reading in Acts 2 at 39 in the midst of Peter's response to the people who asked what they should do. Peter says, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, Langley Church, today is Pentecost. Today is Pentecost, the day in which we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. As our ecumenical creeds say, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Spirit is also one in whom we baptize believers and baptize our children at the baptismal font here. A few words invoking the name of God in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We enact that Christian ritual that has been going on for nearly 2,000 years. And we as Reformed confessors maintain that children of believers ought to be baptized, that the children belong. The little ones, there's some little ones in church this morning, but the little ones in the nursery and the uh, down the hallway there, that they belong. The children of believers belong to the church and the congregation. But we mark them out as different. When we baptize them, we mark them out as different. Baptism distinguishes the children of believers from the children of unbelievers. We say When we baptize children into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost Spirit, we say this child, when you bring your children to the baptismal font, you're confessing as parents, this child is not only a child of parents, he not only belongs to the Smiths or the Jones or the Vanderjans, he belongs to Langley Church. More than that, this child is a child of God. This child, he or she, must be incorporated into the Christian church. Incorporated means being brought into the body. Incorporate means brought into the body, into the body of believers. He belongs, she belongs, so they must be brought in. They must be brought in. And when we read the baptism form, we read, we hear the wonderful promises, the gracious promises that Scripture teaches us that the Lord our God has made to children and to parents and to all who love the Lord. We want to reflect on some of these truths as we think about what went on at Pentecost that day. What went on at Pentecost. But, but, but we don't want to just hear some facts about baptism. We, we want to hear a call to each one of us to be true to the Lord Jesus in our walk and our talk. So I preach to you about the gracious promises of God to the children of the church. 
And we'll hear his call and our response. The gracious promise of God to the children of the church. The Pentecost promise to the children of the church. His call and our response. Now, the setting here is well known to us as Christians. Maybe you're a new Christian, you don't know the story that well. But Peter has been preaching to the people in Jerusalem. It's Pentecost. The setting is 10 days earlier, the Lord Jesus has ascended into heaven. And now on a Sunday morning, the apostles, the 11, and perhaps a hundred and so more others are in the temple. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the church with great signs and, and, and people are wondering about these signs that they saw and heard and the, the Pentecost signs of sound, uh, sound of wind and, and people are speaking different languages because they were in that upper room and they've come out and they're, they're talking about the great news of Jesus Christ and, and people are, are wondering, what's going on here? What's going on? And they gather around to where Peter and John and the other disciples, men and women, young and old, about 120 people are gathered. And they you know the, the disciples had been afraid up until this point. And, and now Peter, no longer afraid, speaks out with boldness. And then he preaches to them that sermon we just read. I can imagine it was quite longer. I, I think these are sermon notes. Somebody took notes, and we have sermon notes of what Peter preached. The, the heart of the message is Jesus is the Messiah. Now, we need to know that the people listening were all Jewish. They had come to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. It's one of the great feast days, Pentecost. There's two harvest feasts. There's, this is the second one. There's, the first one was seven weeks earlier. This is 50 days after the first harvest feast. A penta means 50. This is just day 50. So Pentecost means day 50. And thousands of people would come to Jerusalem. And they would gather in the temple courtyards. They would gather on the temple courtyards on their pilgrimage. Recently, someone asked me, how big was the outer courtyard of Herod's temple complex? A little research, archaeological discoveries compared to the writings of the day make many experts suggest it was the size of 24 soccer fields, 24 soccer pitches, that soccer field in behind here. Imagine 24 of them. That's how big the temple courtyard was. Room for thousands of pilgrims. So thousands, tens of thousands uh, are in Jerusalem. And in the beginning of Acts 2, we didn't read all that. You can read that they came from all over the empire. All over the empire. If you have a Nib study Bible in hand, and you'll see that wonderful map that, that's from all points of the compass. All around, the people have come to Jerusalem. And they hear and see miraculous things, and they wonder... What is going on? What's going on? And Peter proves to them that Jesus is the Messiah. The Old Testament word Messiah is a Hebrew word for the anointed one. For the anointed one. Messiah just means anointed one. In the New Testament, in the Greek language, uh, it's Christos. The, the same word. And, 
In Hebrew, the Old Testament, Meshiach or Messiah. In Greek, Christos or Christ. It's all the same word. It means the anointed one. So Peter proves to the people that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to remember the people are expecting and waiting for a new anointed one. They wanted to have a king who was going to rescue them from Roman oppression. And so the anointed one has a special task. And we still use that word today. We still use that word today. To anoint someone is to... I uh, have a special task. I, I googled Justin Trudeau and anointed. Just go try it. Justin Trudeau anointed. 316,000 hits. All sorts of people wrote about Justin Trudeau as he became leader of the liberals as an anointing. As an anointing. One chosen and appointed by the liberal backrooms of the party with the fan base of the nation. That's anointing. One who is called and ordained to lead the people. That's why they say, Justin Trudeau anointed to lead the people. To rescue us from the oppression of the government. That's anointing. One who is called and ordained, we say, by God to lead the people. One who, like Moses or David or Hezekiah or Solomon, would would be a great leader, a mighty king, a, a Messiah, a Savior. And Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth? That's him. The Scripture points to one greater than David, points to Jesus. This Jesus, this Jesus... God has made Lord and Messiah, Lord and Christ. The people are listening. Those thousands there in the temple courtyards, they are shocked. They are shocked. What are we going to do? They said. What are we going to do? We killed the anointed one. We killed the Christ. We killed the one whom God sent to set us free. How stupid can we be? They're cut to the heart. Deep passion. They're aghast. What are we to do, they said. Peter, tell us what to do. What does Peter say? He says, repent. Repent. The word for repent in the Old Testament means turn your life around. It means if you're walking in this direction, it means turn your life around and walk in this direction. In the New Testament, the word for repent means change your mind. But not just have a new opinion. It means sort of like have have a mind transplant. Have a new mind. Like get a brain and live differently. Peter says, repent. Get off all the dead-end streets that you're on. Get off the wide road that leads to destruction. Get on that, that narrow gate that leads to life. Turn your life around and be baptized. Receive forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit. And then comes our text for the promise. He says, for, because, do this, repent and be baptized. Because the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. We say, we say, what promise? Promise? What promise? This promise. 
Remember, these are all Jewish people. When we read all those nations that the people came from in the first verses of Acts 2 through 1 through 13, we didn't read all those, but you, you might remember them. We, we sort of think that Pentecost is the gospel going out to all the nations of the world, but they're all Jews. These are all Jews who've come from all over the world. They're Jewish people. They're the children of the promise. And they they knew the promise. Their whole existence, their whole being as a scattered people of God depended on the promise. Their identity is wrapped up in the promise. And when Peter says the promise is to you and to your children, they knew exactly what Peter was talking about. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generation to come to be God, your God, and the God of your descendants, the God of your children after you. Genesis 17, verse 7. Also that child. Also that child. Yes, the promise is to the children. The Jewish people, the Jewish people knew the promise. They knew the covenant. It was completely clear to them what Peter's talking about. A covenant is a a treaty between two people, often between two nations in the Bible. Two kings, there would be a greater king and a lesser king. And the greater promised protection and blessing to the lesser king and for all his people and, and the lesser promised fealty fidelity and loyalty of himself and all his citizens. A pact has a promise and an obligation. But this pact, this covenant initiated by God, he is the greater and he promised great things to Abraham. He he promised, I will be your God. Promised his presence. And he promised Abraham children, posterity. And he promised land, property, and blessing, prosperity. And then he included the children. His yet unborn children. Psalm 78, we sang that. Through generations, promise to you and to your children. In Israel, in Jerusalem that day, the people listening to Peter preaching and the, and the other people preaching in all kinds of languages, these people, they got it. They understood All Jewish people understood their children were included. The idea of the covenant with Abraham, including the children, was and is central to Jewish identity. However, there's a change happening here. A new or renewed covenant is being made. The people of Israel would understand covenant renewal ceremony. You see it all through the Old Testament. Covenant renewal ceremony. Joshua 24, for instance. There's a new, this is a covenant renewal ceremony, and now no longer circumcision as the sign, but baptism. Infant boys up until this point had been circumcised. Now baptism is the sign. But the children are still included. Imagine this. Imagine this. Jewish identity promised to me and my children, generations yet unborn, Psalm 78. And Peter's preaching on Pentecost Sunday, and he's standing there, Maybe he's standing on the steps in the temple. We're not sure exactly where he's preaching. And he says, the promise is to you, but I'm sorry to tell you, your children are no longer included. The Jewish people would have said, you're crazier than we thought. We just thought you were drinking too much. 
We just thought you were drinking too much. But you're not drunk at all. The children not included. You're out of your mind. You're crazy. Of course God includes the children. We're the children of Abraham. We're the children of the promise. The God of Abraham is our God. And the God of the forefathers is faithful to us too. To illustrate this point, I'm going to tell you a story. I made it up. It's not a true story. Make the point. It's January in Ontario where I live. And it can be cold in January in Ontario. And it's Sunday afternoon church. My wife and I invite a couple over for dinner. Their furnace has died, we heard, that morning. Their house is cold, and we say, come on over. It'll be lovely. Soup's on. we got a pot roast in the slow cooker. There's freshly made apple pie ready to be put in the oven. You'll be safe and warm from the winter. Come on down. Who could resist? They come on down. They park in our driveway, and they unstrap the little ones from the booster seats, the little baby in the car seat, and they ring the doorbell, and... The snow is flying and I look and see three little children bundled up against the cold and I say, but I didn't invite the children. They don't belong. I only, I, I only invited you. Uh, I think the parents would leave with their children. What do you think? If the invitation came to be embraced in warmth, And the invitee says, your children don't belong. What do you think? No, God includes the children in the promises made to adults. Repent and believe and receive the blessings of the covenant. And now not pot roast and apple pie in a warm fireplace, not a bowl of soup, but forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit and eternal life. The forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit and eternal life. Technically, for you armchair theologians, justification, forgiveness of sins, freedom from the penalty of sin, being right with God, and receive the Holy Spirit, sanctification, holiness, freedom from the power of sin, living rightly with God, and glorification, eternal life, freedom from the presence of sin, living eternally with God. And those are the promises. Will you read them? God told Abraham, I'll be God to you and to your children. And I will give you land of rest, and I'll be with you. In the new covenant, God says, I'm your father. I will take care of you, and you will be my inheritor, my heir. Now you're not growing up to inherit land. That Old Testament promise of land pointed to something better. The people of Israel were looking for a city, a better city. And we as siblings of Jesus, brothers and sisters of Jesus, are going to inherit the whole world. You're going to inherit the whole world. And God in Jesus Christ the Son says, Now not blessings of land, a land flowing with milk and honey, but blessings of forgiveness of sins and blessings of His Spirit and 
the promise of eternal life. Not material blessing, but relief from the penalty of sin. And God the Holy Spirit says, not a land of peace freed from your slavery in Egypt, but holiness. Not freedom from slavery to Egyptians, but freedom from slavery to sin. Freed from the power of sin. Freed from the penalty of sin. Freed from the power of sin. And in the future, as the baptism form says, we will all be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Freed in the end even from the very presence of sin. But notice that even as God made a covenant of grace with Abraham, grace is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. So also the relationship with children is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. It's not because of what the child has done or earned, but God's gracious promise to be God to us and to the children in the nursery. Babies receive the sign and seal because of God's promises as children of believing parents. Parents who repent, Turn their life around and believe the promise. And parents, the promise is to you and to your children. The infants too. And, Peter says, to those who are far off. Imagine they're standing there in the courtyard listening to Peter preach and your little ones are around you. Maybe you've traveled with your wife or your husband and your little ones, your children are there in your long robes. Maybe you're there with your parents. You've come on pilgrimage through generations. Others grown up and married through generations. And the promise, Peter says, is to you and your children and to those who are far off. You feel and experience the love of God in those words. He embraces your whole family in love. Just believe the sure promise of God. For the promises to all parents and children, but, but more also to those who are far off. These are pilgrims. They've left their family behind. They've come from the far reaches of the empire. We can read it in verse 9 and 10. Parthian, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, the fertile crescent in the, in the far east, what's now Iran and Iraq, and Judea in the near horizon, and Cappadocia and Pontus, Pontus in Asia, and Phrygia and Pamphylia, to the northwest in Turkey, and, and to Egypt, uh, parts of Libya near Cyrene, to the southwest and North Africa. Visitors from Rome, from the far reaches of the empire, both Jews and converts to Judaism. And then he says, Cretans and Arabs. Cretans and Arabs. Barbarians and the sons of Esau, the other son of Abraham. The Jews and barbarians and Edomites, Arabs. The promise is to you, to your children, and even to those at home. So the gracious promise of God reaches out through time and generations and also goes across the vast distances of the world and transcends even race and genetics. To all whom God calls, to all whom the Lord calls. And how does the Lord call? How does the Lord call? By the preaching of the gospel. By the preaching of good news. And what does he call? He calls you and me to repentance and to faith. The preaching says from this pulpit week by week, Turn your life around. 
Turn your life around. That's what repenting means. And who does he call? Not just those who are nearby, not just those on pilgrimage that day, not just to those people's children, but to all who come into the contact with the preaching of the gospel. Even today, each one of us sitting here, if you are, if you are today on a track heading away from God, then turn your life around. Get it in harmony with God's word and will. Bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ in obedience and faithfulness to him. Repent. Turn your life around. And believe the sure promise of God that your sins are forgiven and that Jesus Christ has made things right with God for you and in your place. And so we respond in faith. We respond in faith. We hear the gospel call and then by the power of the Holy Spirit we turn our lives around and then we we bring the children of the church to the baptismal font as an act of faith, an act of believing the promise of God that God is God to children too. But parents, that leaves us, grandparents, that leaves us with great responsibility to teach the children of the church about the promise of the gospel, of grace, undeserved favor, and the need to respond in faith, uh, uh, to respond with love of God and the response of faithfulness. And the call comes to the children of the church and the young people of the church through the water baptism on their forehead. Turn your life around and love your heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus. And we can know that in that covenant of grace that this gracious promise is true. That the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with all who put their trust in Him alone. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.